Book Three, Chapters Two and Three of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. In sanguineous animals, the homogeneous or uniform part most universally found is the blood, and its habitat the vein. Next, in degree of universality, their analogues, lymph and fibre, and that which chiefly constitutes the frame of animals, flesh, and whatsoever in the several parts is analogous to flesh, then bone, and parts that are analogous to bone, as fishbone and grizzle, and then again skin, membrane, sinew, hair, nails, and whatever corresponds to these, and furthermore fat, suet, and the excretions, and the excretions are dung, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. Now, as the nature of blood and the nature of the veins have all the appearance of being primitive, we must discuss their properties first of all, and all the more as some previous writers have treated them very unsatisfactorily. And the cause of the ignorance thus manifested is the extreme difficulty experienced in the way of observation. For in the dead bodies of animals the nature of the chief veins is undiscoverable, owing to the fact that they collapse at once when the blood leaves them for the blood pours out of them in a stream, like liquid out of a vessel, since there is no blood separately situated by itself, except a little in the heart, but it is all lodged in the veins. In living animals it is impossible to inspect these parts, for of their very nature they are situated inside the body and out of sight. For this reason anatomists, who have carried on their investigations on dead bodies, in the dissecting room, have failed to discover the chief roots of the veins, while those who have narrowly inspected bodies of living men, reduced to extreme attenuation, have arrived at conclusions regarding the origin of the veins from the manifestations visible externally. Of these investigators, Svenesis, the physician of Cyprus, writes as follows, quote, The big veins run thus, from the navel across the loins, along the back, past the lung, in under the breasts, one from right to left and the other from left to right, that from the left through the liver to the kidney and the testicle, that from the right to the spleen and kidney and testicle, and from thence to the penis. Diogenes of Apollonia writes thus, quote, The veins in man are as follows. There are two veins preeminent in magnitude. These extend through the belly along the backbone, one to right, one to left either one to the leg on its own side, and upwards to the head, past the collar-bones, through the throat. From these, 
veins extend all over the body, from that on the right hand to the right side, and from that on the left hand to the left side. The most important ones, two in number, to the heart in the region of the backbone. Other two a little higher up through the chest in underneath the armpit, each to the hand on its own side. Of these two, one being termed the vein, splenitis, and the other the vein, hepatitis. Each of the pair splits at its extremity. The one branches in the direction of the thumb, and the other in the direction of the palm, and from these run off a number of minute veins, branching off to the fingers and to all parts of the hand. Other veins, more minute, extend from the main veins, from that on the right towards the liver, from that on the left towards the spleen and the kidneys. The veins that run to the legs split at the juncture of the legs with the trunk, and extend right down the thigh. The largest of these goes down the thigh at the back of it, and can be discerned and traced as a big one. The second one runs inside the thigh, not quite as big as the one just mentioned. After this they pass on along the knee to the shin and the foot as the upper veins were described as passing towards the hands, and arrive at the sole of the foot, and from thence continue to the toes. Moreover, many delicate veins separate off from the great veins towards the stomach and towards the ribs. Quote, the veins that run through the throat to the hand can be discerned and traced in the neck as large ones, and from each one of the two, where it terminates, there branch off a number of veins to the hand, some from the right side towards the left, and some from the left side towards the right, and the two veins terminate near to each of the two ears. There is another pair of veins in the neck running along the big vein on either side, slightly less in size than the pair just spoken of, and with these the greater part of the veins in the head are connected. This other pair runs through the throat inside, and from either one of the two there extend veins in underneath the shoulder blade and towards the hands, and these appear alongside the veins, splenitis and hepatitis, as another pair of veins smaller in size. When there is a pain, Near the surface of the body, the physician lances these two latter veins. But when the pain is within, and in the region of the stomach, he lances the veins splenitis and hepatitis, and from these other veins depart to run below the breasts. Quote, there is also another pair running on each side through the spinal marrow to the testicles, thin and delicate. There is further a pair running a little underneath the cuticle, through the flesh to the kidneys, and these, with men, terminate at the testicle, and with women at the womb. These veins are termed the spermatic veins. The veins that leave the stomach are comparatively broad, just as they leave, but they become gradually thinner until they change over from right to left, and from left to right. Quote, blood 
is thickest when it is imbibed by the fleshy parts. When it is transmitted to the organs above mentioned, it becomes thin, warm, and frothy. Close quote. Chapter 3 Such are the accounts given by Suenesius and Diogenes. Polybus writes to the following effect. Quote, there are four pairs of veins. The first extends from the back of the head through the neck on the outside, past the backbone on either side, until it reaches the loins and passes on to the legs, after which it goes on through the shins to the outer side of the ankles and on to the feet. And it is on this account that surgeons, for pains in the back and loin, bleed in the ham and in the outer side of the ankle. Another pair of veins runs from the head past the ears, through the neck, which veins are termed the jugular veins. This pair goes on inside along the backbone, past the muscles of the loins, on to the testicles, and onwards to the thighs and through the inside of the hams, and through the shins, down to the inside of the ankles and to the feet. And for this reason, surgeons, for pains in the muscles of the loins and in the testicles, bleed on the hams and the inner side of the ankles. The third pair extends from the temples, through the neck, in underneath the shoulder blades, into the lung. Those from right to left going in underneath the breast, and on to the spleen and the kidney, those from left to right running from the lung in underneath the breast and into the liver, and the kidney, and both terminate in the fundament. The fourth pair extend from the front part of the head and the eyes in underneath the neck and the collarbones. From thence they stretch on through the upper part of the upper arms to the elbows, and then through the forearms on to the wrists and the jointings of the fingers, and also through the lower part of the upper arms to the armpits, and so on, keeping above the ribs, until one of the pair reaches the spleen, and the other reaches the liver, and after this they both pass over the stomach and terminate at the penis." The above quotations sum up pretty well the statements of all previous writers. Furthermore, there are some writers on natural history who have not ventured to lay down the law in such precise terms as regards the veins, but who all alike agree in assigning the head and the brain as the starting point of the veins, and in this opinion they are mistaken. The investigation of such a subject as has been remarked, is one fraught with difficulties. But if any one be keenly interested in the matter, his best plan will be to allow his animals to starve to emaciation, then to strangle them on a sudden, and thereupon to prosecute his investigations. We now proceed to give particulars regarding the properties and functions of the veins. There are two blood vessels in the thorax by the backbone, and lying to its inner side, and of these two the larger one is situated to the front, and the lesser one is to the rear of it, 
and the larger is situated rather to the right-hand side of the body, and the lesser one to the left. And by some this vein is termed the aorta, from the fact that even in dead bodies part of it is observed to be full of air. These blood vessels have their origins in the heart, for they traverse the other viscera in whatever direction they happen to run, without in any way losing their distinctive characteristic as blood vessels, whereas the heart is, as it were, a part of them, and that too more in respect to the frontward and larger one of the two. Owing to the fact that these two veins are above and below, with the heart lying midway. The heart in all animals has cavities inside it. In the case of the smaller animals, even the largest of the chambers is scarcely discernible. The second larger is scarcely discernible in animals of medium size. But in the largest animals, all three chambers are distinctly seen. In the heart, then, with its pointed and directed frontwards, as has been observed, the largest of the three chambers is on the right-hand side and highest up. The least one is on the left-hand side, and the medium-sized one lies in betwixt the other two. And the largest one of the three chambers is a great deal larger than either of the two others. All three, however, are connected with passages leading in the direction of the lung, but all these communications are indistinctly discernible by reason of their minuteness, except one. The great blood vessel, then, is attached to the biggest of the three chambers, the one that lies uppermost and on the right-hand side. It, then, extends right through the chamber, coming out as blood vessel again, just as though the cavity of the heart were a part of the vessel in which the blood broadens its channel as a river that widens out in a lake. The aorta is attached to the middle chamber, only, by the way, it is connected with it by a much narrower pipe. The great blood vessel, then, passes through the heart and runs from the heart into the aorta. The great vessel looks as though made of membrane or skin, while the aorta is narrower than it and is very sinewy and as it stretches away to the head and to the lower parts it becomes exceedingly narrow and sinewy. First of all, then, upwards from the heart there stretches a part of the great blood vessel towards the lung, and the attachment of the aorta, a part consisting of a large undivided vessel. But there split off from it two parts, one towards the lung and the other towards the backbone, and the last vertebra of the neck. The vessel, then, that extends to the lung, as the lung itself is duplicate, divides at first into two, and then extends along by every pipe and every perforation, greater along the greater ones, lesser along the less, so continuously that it is impossible to discern a single part wherein there is not perforation and vein for the extremities are indistinguishable from their minuteness, and in point of fact the whole lung appears to be filled with blood. The branches of the blood vessels lie above the tubes that extend from the windpipe, 
and that vessel which extends to the vertebra of the neck and the backbone stretches back again along the backbone as homer represents in the lines quote, antilochus as thoan turned him round transpierced his back with a dishonest wound the hollow vein that to the neck extends along the chine the eager javelin rends from this vessel there extend small blood vessels past each rib and each vertebra and at the vertebra above the kidneys the vessel bifurcates and in the above way the parts branch off from the great blood vessel but up above all these from that part which is connected with the heart the entire vein branches off in two directions for its branches extend to the sides and to the collar bones and then pass on in men through the armpits to the arms in quadrupeds to the forelegs in birds to the wings and in fishes to the upper or pectoral fins the trunks of these veins where they first branch off are called the jugular veins and where they branch off to the neck from the great vein they run alongside the windpipe and occasionally if these veins are pressed externally men though not actually choked become insensible shut their eyes and fall flat on the ground extending in the way described and keeping the windpipe in betwixt them they pass on until they reach the ears at the junction of the lower jaw with the skull hence again they branch off into four veins of which one bends back and descends through the neck and the shoulder and meets the previous branching off of the vein at the bend of the arm while the rest of it terminates at the hand and fingers each vein of the other pair stretches from the region of the ear to the brain and branches off in a number of fine and delicate veins into the so-called meninx or membrane which surrounds the brain the brain itself in all animals is destitute of blood and no vein great or small holds its course therein but of the remaining veins that branch off from the last mentioned vein some envelop the hand others close their courses in the organs of sense and at the roots of the teeth in veins exceedingly fine and minute. End of chapter 3